Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by N by Neutralite, exclusively from Amway. This novel new brand is an experiential wellness line created to empower your mind and enrich your body to help you be more you. Because you are unstoppable, and N products will help you meet your goals every day. Because with N by Neutralite, you got this. Follow us on Instagram at Neutralite US. It's inside the Amway Coaches Poll from USA Today Sport, the college football podcast that gives fans the inside scoop on who's moving up, who's moving down, and what's happening with all the big news of the week. Dan Wolken and Paul Meyerberg will take you through this week's poll, interview coaches, and break down the sport like nobody else. Starting now. Welcome to the Inside the Amway Coaches Poll podcast presented by USA Today Sports. I'm Dan Wolken. With Paul Meyerberg, week three's in the books. It was not the most scintillating week of games. There were only 20 on the schedule initially. Five got postponed due to COVID-related issues. But we will talk about what happened along with this week's coaches poll, which Paul Meyerberg, the Big Ten teams are back in the poll. Yeah, they're back. Kind of. It's really interesting, right? So, look, um, August like whatever it was, third, fourth. I feel like it was August 3rd. We had our preseason poll come out. Ohio State was number two, had a bunch of first place votes, clearly seen by coaches in college football as the greatest threat to Clemson. The only team really other than Clemson under heavy debate for number one. They leave. They come back to this week's poll and land at number 10. I'm not like, I understand that it's hard to rank a team who hasn't played when other teams have played. But there are one, two, three, four, five teams ahead of them in the SEC who also haven't played. So I don't, I'm not really sure what the thought process was there to have Ohio State and a few other Big Ten teams lower than, than that. It probably was that a few people left them off. Yeah, I think that has to be it. Just a few of these voters looked at it and said, all right, they weren't in last week because we didn't think or we didn't know for sure they were going to have a season. So now we know the Big Ten is going to return on October uh, 24th. So some voters put them in, some voters didn't. And maybe so why they, would you not put them in? Like, yeah, why would you, what would be the justification for not putting them in? You filled it out like before you filled it out last Tuesday. I mean, there's, yeah. I can't understand. Yeah. I, I don't really understand either. I, I guess what I would say is the water will find its level at some point pretty soon. Like it doesn't really matter that Ohio state's number 10 right now. Uh, at some point, I think you'd like them to be ranked appropriately based on the quality of team that they have. Uh, and you're right. They should not be behind Auburn. They should not be behind Florida if they were ahead of Florida a few weeks ago. So, you know, and I don't think it's opt-outs or anything like that, especially because in the Big Ten, a lot of guys have opted back in. But that is um, – hey, look, at least it's keeping things spicy. Yeah, yeah. And it'll, you're right. It'll correct itself. But if you have a vote in the coaches' poll, you're obviously a very smart person. You're at the head of a – You know football. You know football. You're a leader of of men. 
clearly you've progressed in this profession due to your intelligence, your intellect, your aptitude, and your ability to think critically. Ohio State should be number one or number two. Let's just all be in agreement on that. You should not have them below number one or number two, from my perspective. Um, that's just me. But again, you're all, if you're listening, you're a coach, you're a super smart dude who worked really hard to get where you are. Ohio State did get two first place votes. Right. Uh, right. Clemson is number one, no surprise. They have 44 first place votes. Uh, Alabama, number two, which is where they've been. A tie for number three this week. Oklahoma and Georgia, exactly the same number of points. Uh, they are tied for third. LSU is fifth. Florida's sixth. Notre Dame is seventh. Auburn, eighth. Texas drops from eight to nine. Ohio State comes in at number 10. So uh, that's where we are. Um, other teams that – no other teams jumped into the poll this week aside from the Big Ten teams. Those who dropped out include Louisville, who did not play very well against Miami, uh, Kentucky, Appalachian State, uh, who lost to Marshall, and Baylor, and Army. Army drops out even though they are 2-0, and and – I could actually make an argument that Army deserves to be in the top 25 ahead of a bunch of teams. That are yeah, I, I agree with you. They've dominated, dominated so far. I hope people get to watch Army this weekend. We'll talk about them. They've been dominant. Um, it's interesting to see a tie so high in the poll. If we usually see ties, they're like a little bit farther down. Don't ask me why. This might just be anecdotal. It's interesting to see a tie at number three. I like it. It's interesting. Let's talk about a team who made a little bit of a move up the pole this week. Miami jumps from 18 to 14 after winning at Louisville. Here's my question. Are the Miami Hurricanes back? Um, they've looked really good through two weeks. I, I think they should, be, they should be ahead of North Carolina. Um, they should be like number 12 in the poll because of the way they looked. And they have two good wins. Louisville – is a really good win. I mean, that's still a borderline top 25 team. UAB, I think most people assume best team in Conference USA. They beat them by 17. That's a good win. So Miami's 2-0 with two really solid wins. And I thought on Saturday night against Louisville, um, you really saw something that we hadn't talked about all offseason, and that's adding two extremely high-profile transfers. D.R. King at quarterback, Roche at edge rusher and slash linebacker from Temple. Both those guys have the ability to change complexion of games. And I think Miami has looked dramatically better and more coherent um, with those two guys kind of leading the charge on both sides of the ball. So I feel good about Miami. I really do. Um, a lot of things that need to get fixed in terms of sloppiness, but I feel good about this team. I think Miami fans probably do too. I like that they had an answer every time Louisville threatened to make that a game. Yeah. I thought that look, those, those two – single play touchdowns, right? Because I think those two touchdowns in the second half were single first play, 75 yards, X number of yards. Um, there's no way Louisville was, Louisville was coming back from that. You just can't, as a team, respond to that when you drive down, feel good, and then give up a touchdown on one play. So, yeah, the response is big. I mean, where, where was that last year? It wasn't – they had nothing of the sort like that last year. And let's talk a little bit about Rhett Lashley, the offensive coordinator for Miami. This is a guy who – you know, he's still very, very young. Uh, I think he's barely 40 years old, if I'm not mistaken. And yet he's been around a long time. He was attached to the hip with, with Gus Malzahn. I think I was actually, in 2012, I was kind of the first person to write a big profile 
uh, on Rhett Lashley and his relationship with Malzahn, which stretched all the way back to high school football in Arkansas. And, you know, Lashley was this big-time quarterback uh, in high school, you know, didn't really pan out as a great college player, but stayed with Malzahn and, uh, you know, kind of got to Auburn and was getting a huge amount of the credit for their offense when they made the national championship game. You know, then it turns back the other way. He gets a disproportionate amount of the blame. Uh, they separate. He ends up in the hinterlands of, of UConn uh, where, um, you know, he just didn't really – I don't know who could make it much of an impact in UConn. Then he gets hired at SMU with Sonny Dykes. They put up great numbers all last year. They get to the uh, – or they, they get close to, to winning their, their division. Great year for SMU. And now he's at Miami. And I do think you're seeing a, a very good marriage of – offensive scheme and, and quarterback that uh, is going to put Lashley back on, on track, I think, to be a head coach. Yeah, that's a really good point. He's ridden the roller coaster the last six or seven years. But if he continues this at Miami, um, at his like more – it's not like an advanced stage, but as an older guy compared to when he first exploded, no doubt that if you're an American program or you're a school in that region, in the southeast or elsewhere, um, that if he has the year that he's having, that Lashley becomes a candidate. So it's interesting to see him bounce back. Like you said, like when he went to UConn, I think a lot of people shook their heads, just like, what happened here? You know, so good to see him back at kind of in prime time and good for Miami. Let's talk about another team in the state of Florida that made a pretty impressive debut, and that's number 15 UCF. Uh, they had not been able to start the season until Saturday. They go to Georgia Tech. They pull away in the fourth quarter. The game was fairly interesting for, for a little while. Georgia Tech had it within a couple scores. But you know, Dylan Gabriel, 417 passing yards, four touchdowns, uh, 27 of 41 completions. Uh, UCF looked against a pretty solid defense like, like a real powerhouse. Yeah, that, that, that was impressive. Um, I don't understand it's Florida State, but Tech's defense dominated Florida State's passing game in week two. I mean, like four and a half yards in an attempt, bunch of sacks. Um, they had no hope. Even when it was 28-21, I never felt for a second that that game was under debate. I mean, no. UCF just seemed in control. So they like, you know, you know, like Usain Bolt running the 100, like the guy gets within, you know, a couple inches at the 85-meter mark, and then he kind of pulls away. That's how it felt in the fourth when they just scored 21 unanswered. So everything that you wanted – Dream situation for UCF. Georgia Tech beats Florida State on the verge of the top 25. You win at their place. You do it impressively. It, it really all came together. And look, like if you're surprised that UCF is dominant for a group of five team or even good enough to beat anybody pretty much outside the top five or six in the country, then you're not paying attention. They're really good. I would say that as the afternoon went on and you're monitoring social media to see what people are talking about, it seemed like the games that, that got the most – uh, attention and the most interest as they were happening were uh, Louisiana Lafayette at Georgia State in I think you could only consider it a hangover game uh, they pull it out 34-31 in overtime in Atlanta and then Oklahoma State uh, just I don't even know what you call what they were doing for three quarters uh, against Tulsa but it was uh it, it was not good. And then, you know, they, they make some quarterback changes. They find a way to pull it out in the end against a pretty unimpressive Tulsa team. Uh, which game sort of drew your interest more? Yeah, I, I paid more attention to the Sun Belt 
because they had such a good last weekend with beating three Big 12 teams. I thought it was a, a bad weekend for them. And I and I know Louisiana won, and that's obviously very important. But uh, Marshall beating App State is, is a tough blow for the Sun Belt because yeah. Marshall is not expected to win Conference USA. App State is the is was the second Sun Belt team in the top twenty-five, and they've really dominated that conference the last you know four years. Um, that's a really tough blow, just reputationally. So when you go get down to it, December nineteenth, and they're picking who's going to make the playoff for the New Year's Six group of five, um, it's going to do a blow to the to the Sun Belt as a conference. So I thought that was tough for them. Yeah, absolutely. Um... Speaking of the Sun Belt, another team that, that lost is Western Kentucky loses at home to Liberty, which, by the way, second week in a row, I have nailed the bold prediction. I'm too <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Um, Western Kentucky might not be that good. Uh, they were a two-touchdown favorite in this game. Yeah, I know. And you did, you did nail it. You did predict Liberty to win. So I think you deserve a lot of credit. I don't really know, I don't, I don't really know what to make of Liberty or Hugh Freeze, future who coach Hugh Freeze. Future Southern Miss coach Hugh Freeze. Well, let, let's look at it this way. So they win. They beat Western Kentucky. They've got Florida International. They're going to play. I think it's North Alabama, Louisiana Monroe. Uh, they're probably going to start four and zero. You know, yeah. and then at Syracuse they get Southern Miss at home. Um, at Virginia Tech's probably a loss. You know, but like there's a there's a scenario you can draw up for Liberty where they win like eight games. They could definitely beat Syracuse. Definitely can beat Syracuse. Yeah, they could go eight and one and lose to Virginia Tech. Yeah, and then he's off. I, I don't know how many back. jobs are going to be open, but <laughs> I do think you have to look at Hugh Freeze. Like, there will be people who 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 look at what he's done at Liberty and say, like, the guy keeps rebuilding programs and and making them win. There's some baggage and other stuff, but like, what are you going to do, the guys? The guy wins football games. So the weirdest thing about Saturday to me, Dan, I didn't really notice it the first week. I noticed it this week. I was like football ended. Football was done before midnight. Like the football evening ended when Wake couldn't convert against NC State and NC State took over at like 1130 something Eastern. That was really weird to me. I didn't really feel it the first week. Do you, do you, does it feel weird to not have a Pac-12 game or not have a Mountain West game kicking off at 10-15, going till one something? Well, sure it does, yeah. But um, I think all of us are just sort of trying to get back in our groove, whatever that groove is. You know, I, I have not been consuming football the same way I normally do. I mean, I'm watching it, but I, I, I'm not quite as locked in yet. I just – I know the season is real and it's here. It just is – I don't know. It just feels different for some, somehow. I don't know if that's because we don't have all those teams or we, ha we haven't had the mega matchup yet. But, uh, uh, yeah. Um, before we move on to the next uh, segment of the show, I did also just want to touch on uh, Navy-Tulane. Um, Navy is a team that uh, got a lot of grief for how bad they were in their opener against BYU. And they were down 24 nothing against Tulane in a – very bad weather, driving rainstorm, whatever you want to call it. And then how about Navy gets off the mat and reels off 27 straight points in the second half to win that game? How about that? Yeah, that's wild. Can you imagine the, the, like the mental fortitude of a bunch of 18- to 22-year-olds and of a bunch of coaches 
that you lose by 52 points in your opener. You pretty much get as far as, as much as people do with programs like Navy, you pretty much got ripped apart for the fact that you didn't have contact practices. You weren't tackling when you came out and you laid in day. Like for as much as people criticize Navy, they got critiqued. And then to be down 24, nothing into the third quarter against Tulane, um, which had, by the way, come back from 24, six, the previous week to beat South Alabama. That's an incredible amount of, of mental toughness there. I, I'm really impressed by Navy. Well, think about Navy. Like at halftime, you're going in at halftime of, of this game against Tulane. Your cumulative score for the season against you is 79-3. to Yeah, and they ran two plays in Tulane territory in the first half. Two or three. I mean, that's like, uh, like a Florida-Oklahoma bowl game. Wasn't there some major bowl game where – no, that's like Alabama-LSU yeah. um, 2011. Um, so to come back from that, I mean – I think one time I asked you, like, pretty recently before we started recording, how do you come back when you're down two sets to love in, in tennis? Like, right. how, you, how, do you, how are you able to do that mentally? To do that as Navy, that's being down 6-0, 6-0 in a, in a best of five and then winning the match. It's hard to believe that they were able to do that. Yeah, you just kind of have to, like, look at the next small victory. You know, in tennis, it's okay. You just hold serve once and then see what happens, right? I think in football, it's just, all right, let's get a couple first downs. And that's a victory you know, yeah. when, when, you're, when you're getting beat that bad. And then it just maybe the belief kind of snowballs from there. So, um, not, again, this was not the most scintillating week of football, uh, but uh, good stuff is coming. Uh, is there anything else that, that caught your eye that, that we need to discuss from this uh, week? From week three, um, not really. I mean, so the first introduction of a bunch of teams that we like – that we're high on, you know, first look at Cincinnati, something like that. But by and large, I'm ready for more games because when you get into a situation where there's like four games in a time slot yeah, and they're all, and they're all crap, then that's, that's a problem for me when I'm watching from home. It is. Um, but uh, the doldrums will be over soon. We will be back to as close to normal, I think, as, as we can get. Um now we'd like to talk to Will Healy, the head coach at Charlotte, uh, a relatively new FBS program. Will Healy, one of the young, rising coaches in this profession. We want to talk to him this week because his team was all set to play North Carolina this week and ended up having to cancel the game uh, on Thursday because of contact tracing issues. And it's just an example of just how tenuous – everything is. You, you prepare for a game, you think it's going to happen, it doesn't happen. What is that like? We will find out from Will Healy, head coach of the Charlotte 49ers, coming up next. Inside the Amway Coaches Poll from USA Today Sports. Focus, focus, focus. When you need a little help to create the perfect game plan, outthink an opponent or just be your best, and by Neutralite, slay the day. Tangerine Lemon Focus Gummies. Powered by ginseng, a natural substance that supports brain health and vitamins B6 and B12 to aid concentration when you need it most. Vegetarian-friendly and free from all the nasties of artificial colors, flavors, and sweeteners, slay your day with Slay the Day Focus Gummies from N by Neutralite. And stay tuned after the podcast to learn about how focus and competitiveness relate from focus authority and clinical investigator Dr. Jennifer Chang, Ph.D., these statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration, and the product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. 
Now, back to Inside the Amway Coaches Poll with Dan Wolken and Paul Meyerberg. Pleased to be joined today on the Inside the Amway Coaches Poll podcast by Charlotte coach Will Healy. And unfortunately, Will was supposed to be coaching a game this past weekend at North Carolina. Uh, We've talked a lot on the podcast about navigating through all the COVID stuff and the difficulties, and we've talked to people who were able to play. And now, unfortunately, we're talking to somebody who wasn't able to play because of a last-minute cancellation. Uh, First of all, Will, thanks for joining us. Just kind of take us through the last few days of um, what happened and and how you guys ultimately determined that you were not going to be able to go up to Chapel Hill. Yeah, I think the the interesting part about it for us um, is that it's, you know, the contact tracing is really where it's gotten us more so than the positive test. Um, You know, we've had three players that have tested positive over the last two weeks. And uh, I mean, it got to the point where it basically took out 11 offensive linemen. And so, you know, we had quarterbacks and running backs and uh, defensive linemen and, and, and a lot of different positions that were hit. And, and really for us, it was, what I've learned from this situation is they seem like harmless things, right? I mean, you got Alex Highsmith, our third round draft pick playing defensive end for the Pittsburgh Steelers on Monday night. And you got a group of guys who have been tested three times a week together, who share a locker room together, who just travel together and and go practice against each other every day. And, and they want to go watch a game together. Right. And, and so the first question from a contact tracing uh, standpoint, that's going to be asked is have you been around anybody for 15 minutes or longer without a mask on within six feet? And, you know, if the answer is yes, then you're going to be, you're going to be uh, quarantined for 14 days. I understand that is a hundred percent to be able to keep our guys safe and healthy. We want them to be a hundred percent transparent and honest. And for us, uh, you know, some situations similar to that uh, ended up really getting multiple position groups and, uh, we got to the point with injuries and with contact tracing and, and quarantines that we didn't have enough bodies to go play in the game. And as much as we fought it on, you know, really found out about it, you know, Wednesday and then uh, still trying to fight it from an injury perspective on Thursday, you just don't have enough bodies to go play the game and finish the game and, and ultimately missed out on a great opportunity to go play at North Carolina. So you didn't actually make the final decision and inform North Carolina until Thursday? Correct. Yeah. Did, did they know what was going on at all? Did you guys, were you guys in dialogue about, hey, this is a possibility, or were they caught a little bit off guard? Well, I mean, it was really us not knowing as much as what we were going to do as it was us just sitting on a decision for a couple of days. I mean, I'm a huge Mac Brown fan, and he's been a mentor of mine for a long time. So as soon as I found out about it, I called him during practice. And, uh, and I know Mike Hill, our athletic director, called Bubba Cunningham and, and let him know. Um, but it was, I mean, it was an ongoing situation. Like, what happens if, you know, are these guys really quarantined? Were they really around each other for this time? Are we quarantining roommates? Was anybody else on the team around this person? You know, because sometimes, you know, you're, you're, you're not around them 24-7. So you tell your football team, hey, this guy tested positive. Are there any of you who are around this guy that we may not have seen and we may not have picked up through the contact tracing? Or is there anybody who doesn't feel comfortable with this guy and, and think you may be, you know, you're next to him in the locker room for longer than that period? So we give it, we give them an opportunity to, to step up from a standpoint or from a contact tracing standpoint as well and really got all of that done, you know, I mean, and as soon as we did, 
found out we didn't have enough numbers and we called them immediately. Well, um, just in terms of scheduling, where does this leave your Georgia State game on the 26th? And, and what are your options in terms of making up this game? You have an open window on the 14th of November. Is, are you looking at that to potentially add another game for your team? Yeah. So, I mean, ultimately, all along, I wanted to play 12 games. Um, so we've always been looking for a game on November the 14th. Um, you know, it, it maybe it's one of those where you have a conference game that needs to be rescheduled and you use that date. I know December 5th is a date that, you know, I think leagues across the country are looking at as maybe a, a makeup date and you push your conference championship game back. Um, you, you know, ultimately for us, we got to figure out how many guys are going to get out of quarantine and, and how many positive tests you have between now and really next Friday. I mean, we tested them again this morning. We'll test them again on Sunday. We'll test Tuesday and Friday of next or Friday of next week. And you have to make sure that your numbers stay down, uh, especially with a specific position or group group like we do right now with offensive lines. So, you know, I know the big 12 and we looked at this, the big 12 has a number of seven. If you have seven offensive linemen, you should be able to go play the game. We looked at that. We were going to have less than that. But even Wednesday, you know, we were trying to find any possible way and go practice to go play the game. I expected to play the game on Wednesday, you know, and then it's crazy how things change within 24 hours. Uh, so I think it's going to go all the way up to game time pretty much each and every week. That test 24 hours before the game that the ACC is using, that, you know, we are using if we're the home team in Conference USA, I mean, you got to – that's got to go well too for you to be able to play the game on the next day. Well, just all the circumstances that you've had to deal with as a coach this year, things you I'm sure never really imagined you, you would have to deal with, uh, and you're not alone. Your colleagues in other conferences are dealing with a lot of the same things. Uh, the Big Ten wasn't going to play. Now they are going to play. Is there anyone that, that, that you can talk to or get advice from just as a coach, or is it just kind of feeling it out among, amongst your, the people you trust in the industry to, to just get a feel for how to handle – just day-to-day, -day, all the uncertainty. Yeah, I mean, I call anybody and everybody that I can. Uh, Mac Brown has been fantastic. Coach Sweeney's been unbelievable. You know, I talked to uh, Skip Holtz and Seth Luttrell and Mike Bloomgren a bunch in our conference, you know, Scott Frost. I mean, I, I call anybody that will is crazy enough to talk to me and just how you handle and testing. You know, what happens – uh, because I think what we're trying to figure out right now, our our state and our and our conference has a rule that you cannot test out of a positive test, right? So let's say you got 10 tests back that were negative. Well, I, again, for me, a lot of this is based on the, the health and well-being of the student athlete. So even if we can't get them back for the game, like them knowing that they didn't really have it and it happened to be the – less than 1% false positive. I know it's highly, highly unlikely, but, you know, just putting their mind at ease and then the ones who are contact traced with them, like the mental health of these guys is what's so important to me right now. You know, I go stick a guy in the room for 14 days and tell him he can't come out when there's already mental health issues going on all the way across the country. Is that what's best for them, especially a transfer that just got here? leave him alone, put him in a room by himself for 14 days because he was next to somebody who may have had it, right? And, or because he may have gotten it, even though he tests a couple times negatively during that time, right? The, the indecision's going through their mind. So just making sure that we take care of them 
uh, and making sure that our players understand, which our administration has done a fantastic job of, making sure that our players understand we're going to make sure a positive is a positive. And we may not be able to change it from what we can do on a game day, but we can make sure that, hey, look, I mean, here's the other deal with it. What if you test positive, right, and you get a couple negative tests back afterwards? By rule, with that positive test, you got to sit, and we don't have to test you for another 90 days. What if that player doesn't really believe he was positive because he had symptoms and because he had another test that came back negative, right? So I want him to be at peace. I want to keep testing them, even though I know I know that may get me on the back end, right? Not only could this virus still stay in your system for long enough to, to, to get tested after that 10-day period, right? But it also could make me quarantine and contact trace somebody else down the road, you know, when I didn't necessarily have to test them. But I want to make sure they're at peace knowing that we're going to keep them safe and we're going to keep them healthy. So uh, there's a lot that's going into it. There's a lot that we're learning from it. Um, you know, which testing agency to use, which test is the right test to use. But again, I give our, our administration a lot of credit. Uh, they've been fantastic and, and we're going to do what's best for our players. Well, you mentioned the mental health aspect of this, which I think is underreported and, and under discussed. Um, we spoke to Mac last week and he said his guys going into the Syracuse opener up until a week, maybe 10 days before the game, they were like, I, we, we don't think we're going to play. So they, it was just this kind of jolt of, oh, this adrenaline shot of we need to get ready for the opener now. Um, for your guys now, they've had a cancellation. How do you think that you'll be able to keep their mentality in the place of every seven days, we're getting ready to play, we're going to play? And how do you discuss that with your team to stay focused when you have such uncertainty? It's hard, man. I mean, we practiced this morning, right? And you got – I mean, obviously you got five offensive linemen that practice today, so – I had a TV timeout in between each set and, and made sure I, I thanked all of our sponsors that, that uh, televised today's practice. Um, but, I mean, even for me, for my uncertainty, it's like, you know when I thought we were going to play last week? Like, I knew we were going to go play last week was when I got on a bus and headed to Boone. Because I, all I did all week long was talk about everything that had to do with something other than the game of football, you know? And so – you're, you're, you as a coach, I got to convince my guys on Friday that we're playing Georgia State next Saturday, right? I got to – we got to practice this morning and tomorrow morning like we're going to go play Georgia State next Saturday. And in between tomorrow and next Saturday, we got to do everything the right way to make sure we have that opportunity to go play, get all of our guys back, make sure we don't have any more positive tests, and then we actually get to go play the game. But what you can't do is it slip up on you and you say, it sings 50-50, we're just going to go, you know, halfway do our preparation, and all of a sudden you go get stuck with Georgia State who's popping in the mouth on Saturday, and then you missed another opportunity that way. So really, and I know coaches say this a lot, like the process and worrying about what's happening in your building and just getting better every day, like zeroing in on how do I as, a, as an individual get better and how do we as a team continue to just learn how to prepare and watch film? And whether we play or not, we're going to get better. We're going to be prepared to go play each and every week. And i tell you what, what else could happen, right? We may get to the fifth week of the year, and somebody that we're playing does to us what, what, what we just did to North Carolina, and they may cancel on us on Wednesday. Well, let's go find a game for Saturday. We can play. Somebody else may have just gotten a game canceled. Let's – two days to prepare. Shoot, let's – 
let's go put it down in a parking lot somewhere and go play. This is what these guys wanted to do. If we're both healthy and we can go do it, you know, so what? We don't have seven days to go prepare. Now our coordinators are going to be like, you're an idiot. Like, keep time to prepare. But, I mean, let's just go play. It's going to be a crazy year. Live with it. You know, but we need to control what happens in this building and be prepared each and every week. Well, just to switch up gears for a second, uh, I think a lot of people who listen to this podcast, hardcore college football fans, are a little bit familiar with your background. Uh, but you are a, a, a new face on the scene in college football. Uh, a lot of people would say you're one of the rising stars in the coaching profession. Uh, after your playing career at Richmond, you go right into coaching and you're an assistant coach at University of Chattanooga in your hometown. How does a guy go from being a first-year assistant in FCS football to an FBS head coach in, in a span of 10 years? I, I mean, I, I really – I got lucky to get a job at Chattanooga, number one. You know, uh, it was my hometown. And, and to be honest with you, Russ Huseman needed somebody who could come back and fundraise for him, you know. And I knew enough people in Chattanooga. I mean, I'm – I was trying to raise money and I was making copies for our offensive coordinator. I wasn't coaching anybody. I was just, I was there to get people in Chattanooga excited about our program. Um, you know, got really fortunate to get the receivers job was there for seven years. Um, you know, and, and always, and, and at times messed up, you know, where I don't know if I was where my feet were. And, and I don't know if I did as good a job at Chattanooga as I should have done because I was always looking for the next opportunity. Um, and, and I got to a point where, you know, six years into it where my wife was pregnant, I wasn't making a ton of money, and I wasn't having any opportunities. And I said, you know what? My brother offered me a job to go sell commercial real estate. I got to do what's best for my family. Um, and I need to go create some stability. And uh, my boss, Russ Huseman, was, was – generous enough to give me a raise to be able to get me to stay around for another year. And then, you know, the most coveted job in, in division one football, the 256, <laughs> about 256 division one jobs came open and, and Ryan Ivy was dumb enough to hire me. Um, you know, I, I begged, pleaded. I remember calling Jack Turner, who Jack Turner is Mr. Clarksville, Tennessee, uh, Mr. Nashville. And, I called him. I was downtown Chattanooga. I was standing outside of a Buffalo Wild Wings at a, rec a recruiting visit. And I called him. And I'm going on and on about what I'm going to do if I can get the Austin P job. And he's laughing at me. He's like, I have never heard anybody want this job. This job is awful, Will. You know, I didn't know him. I just cold called him. Like, I need your support. I need you to talk to the, to the chancellor. And, um, you know, I remember sitting in Ryan Ivey's office. And, and I said, why wouldn't you hire me? Like, look, man, here's the reality. I'm a, I'm a 30-year-old FCS head or a, a assistant coach who's never called a play in my life. I, I want this job. How many other people can you actually say want this job, right? And I said, secondly, if there's ever a time to take a risk, it's now. Like, if we can win two games in four years, y'all will build a statue of me. Like, this is a perfect – we can't mess it up more than it's already messed up right now. Uh, so after lots of convincing and lots of interviews, uh, I got the job at Austin P and I was just dumb and naive enough to believe that we could change it. Um, I thought, you know, I remember telling Ryan, Hey, we'll win some games here just based on energy alone. And, uh, I went over my first 13 and I was like, Holy cow, this is, this is really that hard. I mean, you could write a book on, on your number one. I, I tell the story all the time. My first game was against, uh, Neil Brown and Troy. And uh, 
I forgot to name captains. First play on defense, they go 60 yards for a touchdown. Like, I don't, I don't know what the heck I'm doing. But at one point in time, we were up 14 to 13. And I remember as a 30-year-old walking up and down that sidelines on the opposite side with a, you know, 18-game losing streak and, and like a 60-point underdog to Troy. I remember walking up and down that sidelines being like, this ain't that hard. Like, I'll probably be at Alabama in year two. I may take the Tennessee job. You know, we'll see what happens. We got beat 69 to 14, you know, and I lost my first 13 games. And I was like, holy cow, this is really that hard. Um, I hired right. I, I got a bunch of guys around me that I should I never deserved to have come with me to Austin P. Guys who I was like, hey, what do you think about the Austin P. job? And they were like, graveyard for coaches. And I was like, well, great. I just took the job. Will you come with me? And they're like, sure, whatever. Um, you know, we were fortunate to win eight games and got, got hot, a magical season in 17. I underachieved in 18. Uh, and then crazy enough, had Mike Hill take a shot on a five and six head coach, uh, at the FCS level at Charlotte. Uh, I wanted the job and, uh, you know, went on a five game win streak last year and, and had another magical season. But again, I, I will tell you this, like, I got great people around me and that's why we've had success. And I was lucky to get some opportunities when I did, but just as easily could be selling commercial real estate right now and been happy as all get out. You know, I mean, I tell people football is not my life. There's not a better profession on the face of the earth, but I'm, if you made me the Walmart greeter tomorrow, we're going to have the best Walmart in the country. And, and I'm going to be happy as all get out. Cause I got a wife and two kids that are phenomenal. So I try to keep that in perspective but know that there's nothing else I'd want to want to do. Well, before we let you go, I, I spoke to you earlier this summer, and we and Dabo came up, and yeah. and the role that he's played for you. I, I wonder if you would wouldn't mind relating how you two connected because I thought it was really interesting, and also just the mentorship that he's shown you. Strangely, because you have no real connection. I mean, you didn't yeah. play for him. He didn't coach you as a position guy. Can you explain how that came about? Yeah, like Dabo and Mac Brown are both great stories for how I got a chance to meet them. But I, I got a, when I got the Austin P job, uh, I'm driving through the backwoods of Alabama going to recruit, and I get this phone call from a Clemson number, and I answer the phone, and I'm like, hello? And he's like, hey, Will, this is Dabo Sweeney. And I'm like, okay, uh, this is my friend Kenny, or this is Todd. Like, okay, who is this? You know, And he keeps talking. I'm like, holy crap, this is Dabo Sweeney. <laughs> You know, I like pull over on the side to make sure I got four bars on my cell phone and I'm, you know, I'm talking to him and uh, he's talking to me about somebody you wanted me to hire. And I mean, I'm like starstruck. And uh, so when we finished, I'm like, coach, can I tell you something? And he's like, yeah, sure. And I was like, I just want to say thanks for what you've done for this profession. Like you've shown me that you can be who you are and love your players and develop true relationships and treat people the right way and have fun and, you know, there, there may not be just one way to do it, but like, I love the way you do things. You make this a better profession because when you're winning people who get into it, look at the top. And when people see the way you do things, then they see that that's okay to do it. So they emulate that and, and you're making this a better profession. And he's like, appreciate it. You know, I'm sure it meant a lot to him that the 30 year old head coach at Austin P loves what he's doing. Um, so I was like, do you mind if I call you every once in a while? And he's like, yeah, sure. You know, so I kept calling them, you know, and, and we, if I had somebody or something I was struggling with, I'd call him and he always picked up the phone and he always called and he was always extremely gracious. Um, and then I met him. Um, I, I met him one time 
uh, before and, and then obviously made such a great impression that when we played him last year, he said he'd never met me. Uh, so, you know, it, it, uh, it was through the grapevine, but he's always been, I mean, we talked last week, you know, and, and, um, if I have something, I run it by him and, and he's just been so, I've never played for him. I've never coached for him. He called me about a GA one day and I locked his phone number in. As soon as the conversation was over with, I called my wife and I was like, you'll never believe who just called me. And she's like, who? And I was like, Davo Sweeney. And she's like, Will, this is sick. I can hear the smile on your face. Like, <laughs> you don't even get this excited when I call you. And I was like, did you hear me? Davo Sweeney called me. Uh, so, yeah, he's been, he's been fantastic. Mac Brown, I, I played in a Bobby Dodd golf tournament in, in like 2017. And uh, my cousins were, were playing in the tournament, so they let me be their celebrity because they knew that nobody would be ticked off, you know, that I got stuck as their celebrity as an 0-11 head coach at Austin P. I sat with him at dinner, like soaking up. He and Mac, Mike, Mike McIntyre, their information, Watson Brown, just soaking up everything. I'd just gone 0-11 as a head coach at Austin P and was a quasi-celebrity in this golf tournament. So the next day, they start announcing the celebrities and, like, reading their bio. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, what are they going to say about me? Here we go, Will Healy, celebrity, uh, 0-11 in his first year at Austin P, but he's still the second youngest head coach in the country, you know? I'm like, oh, my goodness, what are they – Mac Brown, you know, Mike Houston was there. He just won a national championship at James Madison – Phil Necro, DJ Shockley, Brian Finner, and Brian Jordan, Will Healy. They forgot they left my name off the list. <laughs> so excited that I got left off a list of celebrities because I was devastated about what they would say about me. So, yeah, those guys, Scott Frost, we played him in, in 17 when he was at Central Florida. Uh, you know, and then Skip and Seth are obviously guys I've met through this, uh, this conference. But a lot of guys I lean on. I don't have it figured out by any stretch. Well, I think you're selling yourself short. You did a great job last year at uh, Charlotte to get to a bowl game. And, and I know that uh, once this whole thing uh, gets behind you, I'm sure you guys are poised to have a good year this season. And, and Will, thanks for joining us. And uh, hope you guys get back on the field real soon. Thanks, guys. Appreciate your time. All right, that's Will Healy, Charlotte head coach on the Inside the Amway Coaches Poll podcast. Thanks, man. Thanks, thanks guys. Will. Good to see y'all. Hope y'all are doing well. We're doing yeah, all right. Yeah, talk to you soon. And when it, when it slows down and we can actually be within six feet without a mask on for 15 minutes, we'd love to have you all here. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. All See right. you guys. See you. Thanks, Will. See you. Inside the Amway Coaches Poll from USA Today Sports. Thanks very much to Will Healy from the Charlotte 49ers. They will be back on the field soon as quickly as they can get over this contact tracing issue. But Will Healy's one of those guys that uh, is going to be – at a big-time program within three or four years. I said during the interview he is considered a rising star in the profession, and that is not an exaggeration. Uh, There are people who believe that he is the next big-time guy. Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me at all. I mean, we see that he's got relationships with some of these big-name guys, and I I think they obviously see something in him, Mac Brown, Dabo. So um, it's not a lock, but certainly a lot of people are expecting big things. Yeah, and he's just kind of got that new school philosophy of relationships, trying to make it fun, motivational. The one question about him from a hiring standpoint is he's never recruited at the Power Five level. You know, and I think when 
you're talking about a Missouri or a Mississippi State or an Arkansas that had openings this past year and maybe they wanted to look at him. I think that was just the big question mark is, can he assemble a staff and recruit at an SEC level having never coached at, at a program like that? And look, I think in time that question will probably go away, but it is legitimate because recruiting is the name of the game and recruiting in the SEC is just different than when you're recruiting FCS or recruiting Conference USA players. Yeah, I, I think it's too soon for him. Like, that would have been way premature. Um, but, yeah, you get three or four years, you watch him develop his own guys and, and identify talent in the Southeast, I'd be comfortable with him taking an SEC job. But, I mean, at 35, taking over that time. awful Arkansas yeah. program. Yeah. Yeah. He's got time. He doesn't need to rush into a job uh, like that. All right, let's uh, talk about the games coming up in week four and – this is really the first week where it kind of feels real because obviously we know the Big Ten is going to come online a little bit later. We'll figure out what's going to happen with the Pac-12 in the coming days. There will be Saturdays where we've got everybody in the pool. But this coming week, we got Big 12 games. We've got ACC games. We've got SEC games. So to the extent that we can, we are are here. And – you know, it's so funny because we spend so much time in normal years talking about the SEC and non-conference schedules. And, you know, typically week one, even though they play some, some games on these neutral sites, generally speaking, I feel like it's pretty safe. These are, those are pretty safe games for the SEC, and they play a lot of safe non-conference games. This year, there's no non-conference games. They are jumping right into it. What effect do you think that's going to have on just sort of the SEC race, that, that there's no warm-up act here? Well, it's so hard to predict, right? And we've seen that with the best teams outside of Clemson in the ACC and, and in the Big 12. You just don't know what to expect from any team. I don't expect Missouri to beat Alabama. Um, that seems a little far-fetched, but, like, I'm, I think you'll see sloppiness, right? I mean, you've seen it everywhere else. You know, maybe Georgia doesn't look like an A-plus team against a really bad Arkansas team. So, I wouldn't expect like mid-season form from anybody because you haven't had the ability to have a normal off-season. So I'm not saying look out for upsets, but like Tennessee's playing South Carolina. Don't you expect that to be an ugly game? I mean, it typically is anyway, but I expect that to be uglier than, than you might think. Yeah, well, if you look at Tennessee, for instance, and they're a team that a lot of people, I think, have fairly high hopes for because of the way they finished last season. Uh, Jeremy Pruitt seems to be recruiting well. But what are they going to be? Because they've missed practices. They've missed a scrimmage. They've had days where 40-something guys are out because of positive tests and contact tracing. What does that do to somebody's preparation? I can't imagine that it's just as smooth as a guy like Jeremy Pruitt would want it to be. Yeah, it can't be. It really can't be. Um, But like you mentioned, the, the overall schedule, like we this past weekend was terrible. Um, in terms of the quality of the games and the interest, like you have pretty much every top 10 team playing on Saturday in the country. You got a bunch of top 25 teams. I mean, you're going to see some cancellations. I mean, this is the world we live in, but this feels like a normal late September weekend by and large outside the big 10, not being there. So I think this is going to be a moment, you know, it's interesting. I don't know how you felt, but I've gotten the impression from speaking to a few people that there's just hasn't been college football. Hasn't like grabbed people the last few weeks, the way it normally does. Like, it doesn't, hasn't just, like, controlled your interest. 
Um, and I think that this is the weekend where people will really start to feel like things have returned back to normal in the sport if they don't cancel half the games. Yeah, I think the way I would describe it is the first few weeks, people are happy to see college football games on their television, but none of the games have been like a feeling where the whole country is watching. And that's typically what you get on a big college football Saturday is at some point there will be a moment where it feels like the whole country is just locked in uh, on that. And we, we haven't had it yet. And, and maybe we will this week. Um, let's start with the SEC because they are uh, debuting after delaying their season. Uh, you mentioned the Tennessee South Carolina game. Tennessee's a three and a half point favorite. It's in Columbia you know, it's it's pretty interesting when you look at South Carolina. This is a year where uh, Will Muschamp would be on the hot seat if uh, things were normal. He would have mm-hmm. to to win, I think, a pretty good number of games, like maybe maybe seven or eight games, uh, to keep his job. But just because of um, you know, just because of the way that that COVID has ripped through athletic departments and budgets and all of that, Will Muschamp is not going to get paid $14 million to go away. Um, And so I I do think somebody like a Will Muschamp can maybe take a little bit of a breath here. Uh, The big news coming out of South Carolina is Ryan Holinsky, very highly touted quarterback and did some good things last year as a freshman, did not win their starting quarterback position. It's instead Colin Hill. Um, What did you make of that move? And and what are you expecting on offense at a program – uh, in South Carolina that has just been a little bit of a mess offensively. Well, yeah, I mean, Colin Hill supposedly has the arm to make all the throws that Mike Bobo wants. He's our new coordinator. He obviously has a familiarity with what Bobo wants on offense and what that scheme is about. It's still a little bit surprising. Though, look, like maybe five years ago, the idea that a graduate transfer, a senior would transfer into your program and not start immediately was like ridiculous. Do you just assume that those are the guys that would always take the starting job? Um it is a little bit surprising just because you would think that Holinsky based off last season was a guy that you could build around. They still can. I mean, who knows how the year will play out, but if Hill can be a guy who can bring some explosiveness in the passing game, even though Carolina's got to kind of rebuild their receiver core, um, that's a big step forward on offense. You, we're talking about much champ and this team. I don't see a whole lot of reason to be overly optimistic. Um, I don't think they're going to be terrible. They're not going to be the worst team in the East, obviously, because you've got Vanderbilt. But I do think this year is going to be a struggle. I don't, I don't really see it. Look, they've got good players on defense, a couple guys in the secondary who are going to play in the NFL. But overall, I see it as a tough go for them. So it's a good year to go three and seven because, like you said, um, you'd have to be really terrible to justify getting a big fat paycheck to walk away. The other, I think, marquee game of the week in the SEC is Auburn, who is number eight in this week's poll and Kentucky, who was in last week but is now just outside of the top 25 uh, because when you add the uh, teams from uh, the Big Ten back in, and it's a little bit messy in that some voters did and some voters didn't uh, just kind of put the Big Ten teams back where they were. But regardless, it knocks Kentucky out. They're essentially number 26. Uh, But they're a quality program who, you know, I think last year would have probably uh, been a little bit better if they had had some injury luck. Uh, But, you know, I, I, this is a tough opener for Auburn. And of course, all eyes are going to be on, on Bo Nix to see how he's progressed at quarterback. 
Yeah, this is not an easy one to kick off the year. This isn't, you know, Missouri or Arkansas or even South Carolina or Vanderbilt. This is a tough one. Um, Kentucky's really not flashy. Really good on the offensive line. Um, Auburn has talent on the defensive line, but obviously lost a, a really superstar at defensive tackle. Um, yeah, I think Auburn's going to struggle, and not because they're going to struggle, but because I think Kentucky can make it hard on them. But look, if we think Auburn is like, as a lot of people do, the second best team in the West, I think a lot of people are making that argument that they're the second best team behind Alabama, ahead of A&M and LSU. If they are, then this is a, a 14, a 10 or 14 point win. So we'll see how it plays out. Um, like you said, Bo Nix, there's a lot of hype around him. At the same time, there's a lot of people who say slow down the hype because it might be, you know, a little bit ahead of schedule to say that he's ready to be a national championship quarterback or be an All-American quarterback. The rest of the games in the SEC are not particularly uh, blockbuster matchups. Vanderbilt at A&M, that should be a pretty easy win for the Aggies. Alabama opens at Missouri. Uh, Alabama is always interesting, and uh, we got a little bit of a preview at the end of last year of what the post-Tua Alabama offense was going to look like. But Missouri, first year under Eli Drinkwitz, they've got a bunch of guys out with COVID and contact tracing. So I, I would not expect uh, Alabama to struggle too much. Georgia gets a piece of cake opener at Arkansas. Uh, and then um, Mississippi State, first game under Mike Leach at LSU. And let's just pair real quick, uh, Leach at Mississippi State, Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss, they open with Florida. Those two coaches, to me, have kind of the toughest assignments because – Ole Miss, Lane Kiffin is coming in and, you know, he offensive guy, you know he's going to put in a good system. Same with Leach at Mississippi State. But they missed so much critical installation in the spring, did not really have a chance to get to know their, their new players very well. And, you know, obviously they've had a little bit more time in the fall, but uh, I'm just curious how those two teams are going to look. Yeah, it's, I mean, definitely interesting to think about the offensive installation. Um, it's weird, right? Like, Leach's offense, you can't question it. It's a legendary offense, and it's spawned a million imitators. And when it's clicking all together, it's, it's as good as you'll find in the country. It just seems to me like under the parameters that you mentioned about how they haven't been able to get a routine or get into a rhythm or really get to know each other, the fact that Kiffin's offensive ideas are so multifaceted and they've been reinvented so many times since he was at SC, um, it seems like they mesh better with what Ole Miss has and what that team looks like than with what Mississippi State's got with Leach. Even though Leach has got a QB in Costello from Stanford who's got some NFL potential, I think Ole Miss is going to be better than Mississippi State this year overall. And I even think when they play Florida, I wouldn't be surprised if they score 21. You know, I think they've got a lot of team speed. I think Kiffin, even though he hasn't had a chance to really work with it or even see it that many times in person, knows how to use that speed. So, yeah, both the development of both offenses in a really nasty division is a interesting subplot to the season. Um, I would predict today that Ole Miss will have a better year overall than the Bulldogs. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Um, what do you make of Florida? Florida's coming in, a lot of people – would pick them as a, a possible playoff contender. Uh, they are number seven this week in the coaches' poll. Obviously, Georgia-Florida is, is a game that is likely to determine who wins that division. Do you think they have gotten any closer to Georgia? 
Yeah, I do. I think they're closer. I think they're closer if you say that Cal Trask, how he played the last two months of last season, is legitimate. And not just like he can match that, but he's going to build off it and have a, you know, a top 10 Heisman season as a senior. Um, if that's true, then yeah, I think they have closed the gap. The talent gap is real, and that's not disrespectful of Florida. I think it's just a marker of how Georgia has recruited under Kirby Smart. I think there is a talent gap and a depth gap. But um, you don't question the coaching, that's for sure, with Dan Mullen. I think if they have a quarterback they can trust, then they're dangerous. I mean, I think they can get to the playoff, you know, especially if you get two SEC teams and they're the SEC champion, East champion. I think they've got a, an argument. I don't know how you feel, but I'm a little bit high on Florida. Yeah, look, I think the whole concept behind hiring Dan Mullen at Florida uh, was not he's going to come in and, and dramatically change their talent level. Um, I think the idea with Florida is they've always gotten pretty good players and they just have not been utilized correctly. And mm -hmm. if you look at Dan Mullen just from a 30,000-foot view and what he did at Mississippi State, um, he, yeah, they did recruit some NFL-level players, especially on defense. And obviously you had Dak Prescott there as well, who was you know not some five-star recruit. But overall, I think when you thought of Dan Mullen, it was maximizing the level of talent that he had. Well, if he does that at Florida – then there is no reason why they're not going to improve pretty much every single year. But like he said at the end of last season, I, I, I'm paraphrasing, I don't remember the exact quote, but it was something along the lines of, it's so much easier to go from nine wins to 10 than it is to go from 10 to 11 or something like that. You know, the, the idea being that last step that gets you into the playoff is, is maybe the hardest. And, and I think we're going to, I think we're going to get the test of that this season with those guys. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a really good point. Um, he definitely has gotten them into the into the nine win, ten win range on an annual basis, just very quickly. Um, yeah, that's. I mean, it's a, it's when you really think about it, that eleventh win means that you've got to beat a Georgia, Alabama, LSU, Auburn. You know, that's like the eleventh win. Yeah, it's not that like oh, we keep losing to. South Carolina in September, it's that win. And when you think about it that way, that's a huge hurdle for any program, you know. And I don't know if – I think it would be selling Mullen and Florida short if you say, oh, like, they've got a hit. Once they get that hit on a, on a low four, high three-star guy who turns into a, a first-rounder, that's the missing piece. Um, but there might be a little bit of it to that, that they need to – they're not going to recruit at the same level as number one, number two in the country, and they need to hit on those guys. So – well, think about how long it took Clemson to do that. You know, they were sort of knocking at the door of that last win with those Taj Boyd teams, right? And mm -hmm. they just couldn't get it, couldn't get it, couldn't get it. And then all of a sudden, boom, it happens. So Florida could be on a, a similar type uh, trajectory. All right, let's move on to, to the Big 12. Uh, they're back in action this week. And Oklahoma hosting Kansas State. Uh very impressive debut for Oklahoma, not an impressive debut for Kansas State, losing that game to Arkansas State. Uh, but this will be the first time we get to see Spencer Rattler against real competition. It's a Fox National game. You know, assuming their, their team is, is, is whole or mostly whole from a COVID standpoint, I think Oklahoma is probably uh, pretty safe there. TCU finally opens their season. They, they had an opener canceled uh, against Iowa State. Uh, Texas goes to Lubbock. 
the way Texas Tech looked in their opener, I don't think Texas should have any problem. The game that's probably the most interesting is Oklahoma State hosting West Virginia. Boy, Oklahoma State looked a little bit shaky uh, this past Saturday. What do you think of that one? Yeah, that, that was bad. That, that smelled like a, like we haven't played in a long time kind of game. And the fact that they had to play three QBs. Um, but they couldn't really control the line of scrimmage. Chuba Hubbard had 93 yards, held under 100. They gave up, I think, six sacks to Tulsa. Tulsa's better than they were the last two or three years under Philip Montgomery, but that's that's not going to cut it. But I don't think it's like a, a terrible sign to, you know, struggle a bit. But look, I think West Virginia is not bad. I mean, we both – I think we're both pretty high on Neil Brown as a coach. Yeah. And I think they're going to improve. Um, so, that's a scary one for Oklahoma State if they haven't figured out what's going on up front in particular against West Virginia. Do you think Texas is in any danger of Texas Tech? You know, it's funny. You said the opener, right? And we both know – everyone knows that Tech gave up like 500-something passing yards to Houston Baptist. And, yeah, like on – you just look at it and you're like, yeah, Texas is going to roll some reason, Texas going to Lubbock always gives me a little bit of the willies. So I'm not ready to say that they're just going to – they're not going to sweat it. I feel like they're just going to sweat it. I don't, I don't know why. Something about going to Lubbock makes me a little bit concerned. It's the tortillas. It's got to be the tortillas. <laughs> I've done the uh, – I've covered games at that stadium on like a Saturday afternoon at 2.30 in Lubbock. It just – there's just something in the air. There's something in the air. I don't know why. What do they do with the tortillas, by the way? Like, once they throw them, what do they do with them? That's a great question. I mean, it's like they have the Zamboni guy come out with a shovel and just kind of shove them aside, like a big backhoe of some kind. I don't actually know. That's a good question. Probably should do a story on that. Um, Let's uh, flip over to the ACC. The game that uh, I think would draw attention in a normal year is Florida State-Miami. This season, I am not so sure that I'm going to be watching that game come 7.30 or at least for very long because um, this looks like a total mismatch. I mean, Florida State, as bad as they were in their opener, now Mike Norvell, their coach, is not going to be on the sidelines because he had a COVID-positive test. Uh, Chris, Chris, uh, Chris Thompson is uh, the replacement uh, for the interim head coaching title uh, while Norvell is out. Chris Thompson, by the way, who built – you know, sort of this rogue powerhouse at Abilene Christian back in the day and then got a job as an assistant at Arizona State uh, under Todd Graham and has, has kind of bounced around a little bit. Um, not saying he can't do the job. Just from what we've seen, Miami looks quite good. Florida State does not. And I don't expect this game to to be particularly close. Yeah, it, it, it's been like 15 years, right, since this game meant what it meant to probably you and I and some of our listeners growing up. It's been like 15 years since this game really mattered. Did I have that about right? Yeah, I Mid-2000s. mean, look, there, there were some games, like the Jameis Winston second year, I think Miami was undefeated, and there was a lot of hype, and, and Jameis broke their heart. But that never really felt like Miami, you know, Miami's back, Miami's back, and I don't feel that way this time. Uh, yeah, I don't, and I don't either. And it'd be great if I want that to come back, obviously. And college football wants that to come back. This has a feeling of just one of those late two thousand games, yeah, where one team is ranked. Um, it, you know, 
we, we both expect Miami to win. I don't think we're either one of us ready to say that Miami has turned such a corner that they wouldn't stub their toe and have, you know, four turnovers and 14 penalties for 116 yards and lose this game. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm, it's hard to find a positive, optimistic reason for Florida State in this game, for sure. As far as the ACC goes, Virginia and Virginia Tech both making their uh, season debuts. They've been derailed by COVID issues. Uh, NC State at Virginia Tech is fairly interesting to me. Uh, NC State, another one of those teams like South Carolina where in a normal year, uh, you'd think that Dave Doran would, would kind of be on the hot seat but may get a bit of a reprieve. Uh, and, and Justin Fuente to some degree. I mean, I'm not saying he's on the hot seat, but it's been sort of up and down. Uh, I think this is – within the context of COVID, this is a fairly big year for Virginia Tech because you know, I think there's just sort of this fork in the road. Like, are they really going to be a, a contending program in the ACC or are they just going to kind of slip back to the middle and, and just kind of stay there for a while? And this is one of those games at home, at night, you kind of need to win this one if, if you're going to continue to be taken seriously as a contender. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And in the grander idea of, of, of the 2020 season, um, it would concern me, and I know this is an odd year and it's hard to put too much stock into the results you see, but it would concern me if I was a Tech fan if this program really seemed to give up the, the Coastal to UNC or to Miami or, or even to Pitt. It, it would – I understand what you're saying. Not in terms of giving up the division, but in terms of finishing behind your typical coastal division rivals, in terms of not being lapped by those guys, even though there's only one division in the ACC, that would concern me because it would feel stagnant compared to programs on the rise. And you're deep enough into this tenure with this coaching staff that it, it, can you, if it felt very stagnant in 2020 while programs like NC and Miami and even Pitt were making strides, um, that would worry me going into 2021 about the state of the program and the ability to, to win a division title when we go back to normal. The other game that is fairly interesting in the ACC this week is Louisville at Pitt. And I will say I have not watched one second of Pitt, even though they've played a couple games so far. So, you know, I, look, I saw Louisville, huge concerns with their defense in that performance against Miami. Uh, Pitt, you know, they shut out Austin P to open. They held Syracuse to 10 points. I don't really know what any of that says. Uh, not exactly been the most rigorous start for Pitt. Uh, so probably an opportunity, I would say, against Louisville to, to maybe show that, that they are um, worthy of, of being ranked. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah. That's pretty much it. I liked Pitt in the preseason. I'm high on Why? Pitt. Why? Why? Uh, uh, I think that this is their best defense in terms of overall. Well, they also they lost some guys, but in terms of the ability of this defense to be the best that Narduzzi's had, they definitely believe that to be the case. Um, they were more experienced at quarterback with Pickett. Um, they had like some young freshman sophomores. They felt ready to explode, so there was a lot of confidence around Pitt, and I and I bought into it to a degree to say that they're like team number twenty-three. Um, I saw the second quarter of the Austin P game. I saw some of the Syracuse game. You're right, like. There's nothing there to make you think that this team is bad or good. So this is a, a prove me game against Louisville because otherwise you're just relying on your prediction rather than anything that you've seen. As far as the group of five goes, Army at Cincinnati, that should be a good one. Oh, yeah. That's going to be a great game. I'm really looking forward to that. Um, Army has beaten the, the crap out of everybody they've played so far. Um, they've seemed extremely prepared. It's like they spent, they've been practicing 
every single day for six months. Um, for Cincinnati, it's a possibility or, or the, the potential for a really nice win that could really come in handy down the road to beat Army and then go into American play unbeaten and maybe add a couple more top 25 wins. Uh, Houston is a team that will also make their season debut. Poor Houston, man. They, they have had, uh, what is this, three games, three openers canceled? So yeah, far? we spoke last week about like, oh, you can just schedule a game on a Tuesday. Let's, let's go. And then Houston and Baylor tried that. It didn't, it didn't work out too well. So I might need to reconsider. But, yeah, it'd be nice to see Houston. We've been waiting to see you guys. So welcome. For those who don't know, Houston and Baylor were supposed to play, and then, then Friday the game gets canceled. Baylor had a COVID issue. Uh, couldn't field a team as it relates to the Big 12 standards. Uh, Houston will open at home against North Texas, uh, whose uh, defense not good. pretty disastrous. Gave up yeah, 65 points to SMU. Any other game worth mentioning before we wrap this up? I, I don't really see too much out there. No, not too much. It's it's just a, it's a much better slate. I mean, we I'm currently looking at the American schedule. It's a Willie Taggart debut at Florida Atlantic. I think some people might find that interesting, but I think we touched on them. It's just a really good week, all things considered, you know, compared to what we've got. Absolutely, and we can certainly look forward to that. All right, Paul, well, we'll wrap it up there. Thanks to Will Healy from Charlotte for coming on. Thanks for listening. If you like the podcast, please subscribe on your favorite podcast listening app and give us a five-star rating. It will help get the word out. For Paul Meyerberg, I am Dan Wolkin. This has been the Inside the Amway Coaches Poll Podcast presented by USA Today Sports. We will talk to you soon. You've been listening to Inside the Amway Coaches Poll from USA Today Sports. Listen and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Hello, I'm Dr. Jennifer Chuang, clinical researcher and nutrition investigator. Focus is like a mental muscle. The more you practice, the more you build it up. By building your mental focus, you will find that you're able to accomplish more and concentrate on the things in life that matter. There are several ways to build your focus. A few key approaches to start with include eliminate distractions, practice mindfulness, meditate, and exercise. Eliminating distractions is the hardest of all these. Did you know that once distracted, it takes an average of 25 minutes to return to your original task? But you know what? Writing down distracting thoughts can really help you stay focused. Sometimes you need a little extra help to stay focused. Ginseng is an ancient herb that has long been used to support your mind and help you stay focused. And by Neutralize Slay the Day Gummies and Shots contain a blend of 75 milligrams of natural ginseng, 50 micrograms of B12, plus two milligrams of B6. Get in the zone when you demand it with N by Neutralize. Slay the day, gummies and shots.